That, that sounds like a good morning um, to uh, the next installment of Galatians, the book of Galatians. Um, if I was to, to put a topic or uh, theme through for this study, I'm going to call it um, Born to be Free. And uh, let's continue with our discussion now. I've, this is more than 2020 questions. Um, in chapter one, uh, we started off last week with a series of questions. I told you I have quite a number of questions just looking through the chapter, and I want to be very methodical with those questions. Last week, for example, um, we asked the question How is the gospel uh, summarized um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 7? Um, let's begin there again before we go on into um, this study. Of course, Paul mentioned in this uh, first chapter that his concern, his amazement, shock if you please, about how the believers at Galatia had uh, seemingly uh, been convinced of uh, a new or a different gospel when they had some other persons coming around preaching something different than what Paul had preached. And so before we get back on the road with that um, study, let's look then in terms of summary. What do you think is the summarized version uh, of the gospel? How did, did Paul summarize it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 through 7? What is the gospel in other words? Because we say that always, but what is the gospel? The gospel would be for Jesus Christ came to die, pay the penalty for sin. So he died on the cross. He buried, he rose from the dead. God rose him from the dead to prove that he accepted Jesus' death on mankind's behalf. That's it. All right. Um, you mentioned that God raised, rose, raised him from the dead. Did Jesus raise himself from the dead? Jesus did say that he has the power to uh, to take his own life and to uh, raise it again. Uh, he was speaking to. Uh, uh, He was speaking to the crowd that was arrived. I mean, his, his disciples were present too as well, but when he was referring to, you know, that his temple would be destroyed. And, and, and of course, the folks that he, you know, the religious leaders at that time didn't really understand what he was referring to. You know, they, they thought that he was referring to the physical. Uh, so. Anything you said would be believed by a multitude of people. <laughs> John chapter, St. John chapter 2, verse 19. Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Um, you believe that? Did he raise himself up? 
or did his daddy raise him up? If he said to them, in three days, he will destroy it. Well, you will destroy it in three days, so I, I, I will raise it up. Then, you know, that's a, that's a, a statement, a father statement that he's making. So, mm. uh, so we have to say that. And didn't. And, and, yeah, and didn't do it. Then he lied. Then he lied, right. Yeah, and then that's happened. deceptive. Right. Can't know if I could trust him. Right. <laughs> And so, but if it also, if I can find in scripture a reference that says where his father raised him from the dead, uh, would that be a conflict? No, it's a joint effort. Just a joint effort. I like that. You know, the collaboration. It's like saying, who created the world? Would you say God, the Father, or would you say Jesus created the world? Is there one side or both involved? Genesis chapter 1. You can say that. And what we always say. We can say God the Son or God and His Son. You can say, okay, that's God the Son. Uh-huh. I know you're God the Father. Right. God the Son um, uh, created the world. Okay. Uh, 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 you know where we gonna be? be uh, you no, know, scripture where where reference as far as him being um, him loving uh, uh, you know, complete authority as far as all the creation, uh, uh, nothing that was created uh, that has been created. Um, the come to the husband and, and, and John 1 was uh, uh, all in him. And so, so, so again, yeah, I, I, I believe you can be accurate in saying that, uh, you know, gee, I want to say God the Son created, created, um, created creation, created the world. God the Son, God the Son. created the world. Created the world. Okay. And God the Father, it's a bystander. Is he involved? Other than yeah. just nodding and saying, go for it, boy. Hit it. No, was involved. How was he involved? Uh, Only with approval by saying, you do it. Was he actually involved? Yeah, I, I think the difficulty comes in when we, when we, when we, when we look at the, 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 the theology aspect of the, tri- the Trinity, uh, although each each um, each person uh, has specific roles, uh, but but none of their roles are done without. They, they, they don't have to want that one, if I can say it. So it's always consultative. Exactly. Alright. So would it be correct to say that in the beginning, God the Father created the world? You say correct. Yeah, would it be correct to say that? Or would I be spewing off a new theology? 
that people let me simplify it by saying it this way, or complicate it by saying this way. In Genesis chapter 1, which we are familiar with, it says something to the fact that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then it talks about this sequence of events, and it says, and God said. Who actually said, take God out of there? Who was this person referred to as God? Who said, on day one straight through day six, seven? Um, who was this person? Or was it as a joint effort? God then representing the Trinity, as you mentioned earlier. Was it all three of them involved? Yeah, all three. Spoken in unison, if you please. Yeah, because when you said, let us scream, man. They were involved. So there's a plurality mentioned in the let us. Yeah. So it seems like prior to that, the us was already there. Right. Okay. I think we can take it on the side of the road and sell that. You think you, you can sell that? Yeah. Like, that? Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's go back to Galatians then. <laughs> so when it talks about this gospel, and we moved off to the um, who raised Jesus. And then it talks about what is unique though about the gospel that Paul preached. What was so unique compared to maybe other good news, as it were, that may have been going on at the time? What is so unique about this gospel that Paul was preaching? Or this is just, you know, same old newspaper, you know, um, what, if any. What is unique about the gospel? I think two things that stand for me is, one, there were um, still at that time, you know, witnesses who, that's why I made the comment that I had because I think I hate witnesses. But there were, <laughs> you know, so there, you know, there were people around who would have first had a cult of Jesus. Or, or, or even if they had a first had a cult uh, that, you know, those who may have had a first time account or who had like a sort of personal encounter with with Christ. Um, it was, you know, still fresh. It wasn't like a um, a distant uh, historical, you know, prospect. But then on but the second part of that is the fact that you know he was the fact that he rose from the dead and and you know he, and there were you know this small little people who who had who had like a, a post resurrection uh, uh, connection with Christ. So it wasn't it wasn't like just a like it'd be like for today. Where, although we do have a scripture where um, it says, you know, you know, people who have not seen and yet believe, you know, just how, how, how blessed they are, you know. But I just call that back then. And what made it unique is just um, the fact that they had the the, the 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 personal connection that they had with Christ uh, uh, before his before his. Description and his uh, resurrection. Um, I just think that's that's one part of it. Um, but I mean, again, you know, what makes it really unique is that you know, the, you know it just changes, it transforms, it transforms people, and then 
for Paul, for Paul to be the one presenting this gospel and seeing his track record from what he was before to what he is now is like the evidence of how powerful this gospel is that transforms people's lives from, from being one who was a persecutor of Christians to now one who was an advocate. Uh, you know, so. Mm-hmm. Also, I think uh, the story of the gospel itself because in the Old Testament, like I mentioned, the Messiah is supposed to come from just be their savior. So it still seems like in the New Testament, the Jews didn't get like what the Messiah's role was. Because uh, almost like their expectation of him is supposed to be some sort of political leader who's supposed to come in and I guess help overthrow the Roman type of thing. Uh, but the fact that I guess God sent His Son to die. Oh, that was lost to them from that point because they even got upset when he called himself the son of God or he said you know, the sins of the general. There was a question like, how do you have the right to do that? So they didn't even understand who he was. So I think um, a part of the, 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 the story of the gospel would be that God actually sent his son to die to pay the penalty for their sins. Like they, they just couldn't get that. So I think that is... Uh, one of the major important things about the gospel. I think that's unheard of to them. At least that's beyond their comprehension at that point. So I think that this gospel that God has sent his son to pay the penalty for you. That all the laws that I gave you in the Old Testament, though they're good, it's not sufficient to save you. Uh, only if you come through my son, you know, you should be saved. So that, to me, is, I think, revolutionary in this time period for them. All those laws are right. You know, sacrifice, the passivation, I did this, I did that. And that's not sufficient for God. Uh, but, but just believing in his son, uh, accepting what he did for them on the cross, that is transformational. So, and, and uh, can we then attribute that to being a unique feature of this gospel? Because let's say the gospel that Paul was preaching was unique compared to whatever other quote-unquote gospel was being preached at the time. And certainly the people at uh, Galatia, uh, where Paul would have gone on his first missionary journey, and second with the um, Titus on their return visit, and uh, someone or these Judaizers who came behind were preaching another gospel and so obviously it was different than what Paul was preaching uh, which meant then that Paul's gospel was unique could it be as Brother uh, Mitch mentioned there one would be that hey obviously these people who were talking at least in the case of, and uh, they could easily be refuted as being a false but these were in recent history it's almost like us referring to 9-11 in terms of saying, well, we were still alive. We can remember that. So somebody tells me that it was a helicopter that flew into the building and caused a collision um, 10 years now. I'm going to say who alive were. They, someone went in the papers and put that out there. Here's the real story. That will be shot down very easily, very easily uh, refuted with verifiable facts that that didn't happen. We, we, we saw it. We saw it live. 
over and over and over repeatedly. So if somebody comes with a different story about what took place on 9-11, oh, let's localize it. If we talked about what happened to that same year, same few days apart, with the burning of the straw market downtown, most people you know, have a view of what took place, what were involved, you know, and so they can speak um, to that in terms of whether or not it took place. Was it really the straw market or was it the Hilton Hotel that burned down? You know, that's different. That's not the same story. Or the, the straw market fire spread to include a portion of the Hilton Hotel downtown. You know, is that in fact true? But if you have a, a group of persons who get together as a coalition, if you please, and start to forge or promote that message, most people will refute that because most adults would be able to say that's not, that's, that's clearly false and refute that. Likewise, then, in terms of the timing, of when the event took place, when Jesus would have been crucified, and those who were his contemporaries, certainly, who would have seen him prior to his crucifixion and, and heard about his message. Maybe a significant number would have been in one of those groupings or audience uh, when Jesus was teaching. And now that he's died, and here comes this Paul and others who were preaching about he's alive. And there are persons who said, but I was there. I saw him on the cross, I saw him crucified, he is there. Now maybe, and then again, scripture tells us that there are more than 500 would have seen him after, even at one time. That's a significant number of people, you know, that speaks to the validity of his resurrection. Not to mention now Paul, um, who again lived in around the same time, and certainly a contemporary, but was on the other side as it were, um, now saying that he had personally encountered the risen Christ. That's that's cool, you know. For those who choose not to believe, you say, but the evidence is clear. You can call any of those 500, I'm sure. You can find 500 people who are living today who would have been present or at least seen the news broadcast of the straw uh, market fire uh, back in 2001, I think it was. Um, easily. So you could just put an ad out and say, can someone tell me if you actually saw the clip? I'm sure there's sufficient, uh, more than 500 people, but that's the easily thing you can take if you had to take them before court. But what's also uniquely I, I heard with the gospel is that, you know, it is faith in Jesus Christ alone, not nothing else, not the law. The law is good because the law really only asks you as your math and tell you how of course you are. With, with, with the procedures, with what you need to do, but it does not have any power then to save you. Nothing is built into the law that enable you to follow the law. It just says, look, the red, the lights turn red, stop. But there's nothing in the light or the signal in the traffic law that says stop. You know, that it says means to stop, but there's nothing in terms of built into it that will force you to stop. And I think that makes a difference. But where Christ comes in, you know, then he gives us something in uh, that allows us to do that, and that is himself in the form of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so here comes begin this collaboration, if you please, with the Trinity all working together um, to, for one thing, and that is to save you or save me, so that we can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And this is an exclusive uh, um, gospel. You know, there it is um, in Christ alone. That's that's for me. No other option. There are certain other maybe religious um, affiliation organizations or belief systems where they, they're not necessarily that exclusive, yet I believe that every relationship or every organization or religious grouping do have some exclusivity to it. 
you know, in some respect. But some people believe in many gods, for example. And and this one says none. Christ alone, you know, and no one comes to the Father except by me. Well, that's pretty narrow. No, no other person would make you, because this is God himself who's speaking. And until you recognize that, I can see why a person would have problems trying to think through that process. You alone. But if God is saying, you say, come to me, beside me there is no other God, no real God, you know. And, and I think that's, that's important to, to recognize. So what's unique about this? It is faith in Jesus Christ alone. Not works. Your relationship with a person. You know, and this person can be trusted. The point then is, having said all of that, um, did Paul really tell us the truth about Jesus Christ? Can we really trust Paul, you know, based on what he said? Should we believe what Paul had taught us about the gospel? And if so, in, in what ways was Paul's gospel um, or of truth similar to that of Peter? Maybe let, let's look at something. Um, Matthew chapter 16, if you could still find it. Um, chapter... Hmm, 16, yeah, in verses 15 through 17. Um, let's see if we can read that out, and then let's see if we can weave that into to this discussion. Matthew chapter 16, verses 15 through 17. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, Barjona, because because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Okay. So, the good question is, well, who is Jesus? I think that was Paul's thinking. But well, I'm telling you about this Jesus. You know, um, because people, even today, people have a warped, differing concept of who Jesus is today. Um, the Jewish people, of course, were looking forward to a Messiah who is this person to come, but they expected him to come in a certain form. They had put him in a box, <laughs> described a certain way, um, and wrongly so. And that is so critical if your foundational beliefs are off, then most of the things you put on top of it become shaky. And it's so important to get some of those core beliefs and studies in terms of even their study of the scripture. Um, and you would have expected, for example, Paul who was um, a Pharisee in terms of his lifestyle and training, uh, was a devout, a devout Pharisee. So he knew the Lord. That's where they spend the whole time studying in school, a master's degree in law. And out of the ten or the decalogue, you know, the Jewish people would have extended that in terms of up to 613. How do you take ten and convert it into um, 613 other laws? Just to do this and to do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. It's amazing how they did that and yet missed the key point that Jesus was promised to come and when he showed up they still didn't recognize him. That's just that's that's huge. I think we should send them to an um, ophthalmologist they need to get the eye check, you know, because they really missed it. Let's go on. Here's another question. What was Paul like before he met the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's do a little summary there. We're gonna put this on TV for an interview. This is Paul before he met the Lord. Well, who is this person? Because I need to know do you think the person has anything to do with the message? The character of the person? Should we consider that? The place of power. Alright, let's see, because something was mentioned earlier, but Paul at one point there was a change in him. Now, I don't know where he took drugs, because sometimes, sometimes that happened too in some people's lives. He knew him at this point, so I knew him, we were in school together. And then after a while, he drops out of the scene for a while. 
Next time he shows up, this is a totally different person. What's wrong with him? And then somebody tell you, yeah, he's been hitting it, you know, or he's been on that thing. No, he's a totally different person. Paul now, let's look back at what he was before. I think he had a different name then, right? Yeah, he on the street, yeah. <laughs> he was sore. Then variation, you know, they changed one letter in his name. But let's figure it out. What do you remember um, about Paul, formerly Saul, uh, um, in his life? What was he like? What do you know of him? He was a Pharisee. He was as far as you can see, a Pharisee. Yeah, okay. Pharisee. Yeah, he's a Pharisee. Uh, whatever that is. Yeah, he's a top dog. You know, he's a, he's a top echelon of Pharisee, you know. <laughs> You know, he was a uh, uh, person specifically, you know, dragging them into, into prison, you know, taking them away, and walking them off. Sound like a bounty hunter. You know, yeah, he is looking, <laughs> looking just for, for Christians. Yeah. Or, or maybe at the time what they call themselves were the children or people of the way. You know, they 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 got a different way, you know, mm-hmm. following this Christ. This is ridiculous. You know. So he had seems as if he had special authority to do so. You know. Wow. Sounds pretty cool. You know, we talk about a gang. This is the official gang back in Jerusalem, you know. You know, and he was a hitman, you know. Paul and I know Saul and town, you know, head for code. Wow. Interesting character back then. All right. What was he like in terms of his um, education? Sharp. Sharp. So this is no nobody, you know, an ignorant person on the street. This man is master doctor of law, <laughs> you know, and still have that military aspect of well trained, and, and it seemed like he had uh, certainly had the responsibility or had a group to to accompany him, his entourage. You know, um, it's called Saul and the gang, you know, um, when he moved into town. And then he got this email from somebody saying, like, there's, we think something meeting at this house, you know, over here in this, this sector. And he was moving in with the papers, you know, warrant of arrest with the power to do so, you know, all the way from the highest um, court in the land, the Pharisee. Yeah. You know, wow, wow. That's Paul back then. Anything else about it? By the way, who, where, where was he born? Yeah, there's me that. Tarsus. Yeah. Tarsus. Alright. That means, but that was not a Jewish province. So, what, what nationality was he? He's Roman. Roman by birth. Roman by birth. Right. Yeah? Right. But Jew uh, by ancestors? Pedagogy, uh, uh, pedigree. So his parents were, were Jewish. You need to check his birth certificate. Okay, we can check his birth certificate. But born in a Roman colony, oh, Roman oh, colony. Yeah. Therefore, that's why at one point um, he could appeal. Remember when one time yeah. he, he pulled out his. Is Roman citizenship? Right. Yeah, he followed his God. You know, he said, "Look, I am Jew." So he had, in a sense, then Jew citizenship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's the Jew allegiance. One, one work when you one 
one person is persecuting you or persecuting you, he appealed to the next. And in this case, the one he appealed to the one that was superior, who was really suppressing um, in terms of governing uh, um, the, the people of the, or the Jewish people at the time, a Roman under a Roman colony, you know, or, or colonization. So he appealed, he pulled out his trump card, I'm a Roman, so I needed to be heard. So he went to this person who was um, Festus, Festus said, look, I can't handle this case. So he appealed it to um, King Agrippa, uh, his royal highness, King Agrippa. This is the same man who said at one point, when he was, when he was, uh, I think, interviewing Paul in the, in the prosecution pro, um, process, he said at the end, uh, having listened to Paul's story, obviously convinced of what Paul was saying was in fact true. And the more he listened, he had to stop it. What time was? Because the more I listened to you, you you're convincing me. Uh, I was always persuaded. To, to believe in this person you refer to as Jesus Christ. So look, you, you're free. I don't believe what the charges brought against you are valid. You can go free. That's a good uh, um, testimony by Paul. You know, that's the after the fact. But as we've just said before, you know, this was like before, but certainly there was a stark difference between what he's now doing because before, again, I think there was also the element that Paul was very devout. And, and um, zealous about yeah. what it is. Once he put his mind in something, he's locked in, you know, for a long or, you know, very dependable uh, on the initial. This is what he's going to, if you get his word that he's going to do this, you can you can take that to the bank. Fall on the case, in this case, Saul on the case. So there is some positive, there's some attributes about his character that transferred over after he had this encounter on the road to Damascus that he, he used. And look at that thing that is called the war. Uh, um, <clears throat> let's ask one more question here because the time is certainly um, getting away from us, evidenced by the other noise outside. All right. What did his zeal drive him to do? We said that already, and, and that is um, the prosecution of the, the Christians. And he would go that odd end, not only in Jerusalem, he wanted to widen his territory, as it were. He hear that there's something happening on Andrews, the man catch the mail boat going over there with his own crew to try and arrest these people, bring them back to the Foxville prison. You know, he was just intent and very zealous on, hey, we're going to stamp these people out. Because what they're teaching goes against what he's been trained and what he learned. The law, the Pharisees, as they understood, this is not right. We have to stamp these people out, stamp them out, and which meant that it means you arrest, and if you, it seems if you resist, you have the possibility of even, you know, you can't say you have self-defense. Four of them will apply force, you know, and so it's possible that you, you could lose your life in the process. So um, he was a very zealous person, you know, um, straight straight through. I think that is carried over, as we will see later, as he um, had that encounter on the road as well. And let me know this last, the really last question. You can't have two last. To what does Paul always conversion experience? Who did he con uh, attribute it to? And that's the last question for the day. Who did he attribute this conversion experience to? How did he describe it when given the opportunity? How did he say, how did this happen? Which drug did you take? Somebody used to up on the road on Damascus and stopped to get a five and somebody poured something in your tea. What was it that he attributed to? I know, I know a lot of last since we referenced that. He referenced the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Um, and so, and even sometimes at the end of this, 
Let's conclude here, Lord willing, and um, if Lord wills, we will pick this up again as we watch the transition now, because we have a background on who Paul was, and uh, well, so then. We had a name change, but not only name. This goes deeper than the name, all right? Um, and, and then this new passion, because he had an encounter on the road to Damascus, and um, there's a changed man, you know, but that's, that's, that's a miracle in itself, and what that encounter was on the road to the mansion. What was that that is so dramatic that you, you, if you saw Paul 24 hours before and then had the opportunity to see him a few days afterwards, the change was so drastic. No wonder people thought that he was insane. You know, that can't be it. When they hear the news, not, 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 not so all I know. That can't be the same man, you know. And they certainly didn't believe him, you know. Um, and then it turns where those who actually believe him stand, then start to say things about him that were not true. Then they try to attack his character, you know. It's amazing how people still do that today. <laughs> Amen. Let's, let's close at this point.